Come on in, take a seat. Why don't you grab a pen and paper? Sure. Okay. And what I'm gonna have you do is write a letter to your son that you're gonna give to him when he turns 18. I want you to write a letter to your daughter. Okay. For when she turns 18. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Oh, my <laughs> son's only four years old, so this will be interesting. Dear Olivia. Dear Mason, you won't read this letter for six years, and a lot could change between now and then. Hopefully, you've learned by now that it's important to put on clothes before you go outside. Maybe you've learned that vegetables are your friends. I sincerely hope that all of the dabbing has finally stopped. And also that it's pronounced mac and cheese, not monkey cheese, mac and cheese. You dream of becoming a famous singer, so thank you in advance for all the free concert tickets. Is this still your goal to be a professional YouTuber? I know you were hoping to become a giraffe when you grew up, but hopefully you have some even better career options now. It hasn't always been easy. I sat on a piece of gum you left on a chair yesterday and didn't find out until after work. The dishes really do go in a dishwasher. It's not like a metaphor or something. Remember when you cut your own hair and then you tried to fix it? Basically, I didn't sleep for three years straight. But I can tell you this. Despite all the struggles, all the tears, it was completely worth it. And I would do it again, a hundred times over, for you. You are a gift and a blessing. You've changed my life. You are beautiful and strong. You have so much energy in life, and I can already see how incredibly smart and fearless you are. More than anything, I want you to know that I love you. I'm here for you, whatever you need. You have made me so proud. And I am excited to see how God uses your life. You're ready to take on the world. With all my heart. Love always. Dad. 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 Well, again, good morning and happy Father's Day to all of you. Uh, dads, I know this is a day that maybe you're not supposed to work, do things like that, but I, I want to challenge you this week, uh, like me, to, uh, to do what they did in that video and, uh, and write a letter. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Now the challenge becomes, <laughs> don't lose it. <laughs> but but, uh, but uh, yeah, it'd be fun. It's a neat, neat challenge, a neat idea for sure. Uh, I just want to speak to one thing that McKenna did real quick, and that is uh, a VBS uh, donations. Don't forget VBS donations. We desperately always need donations. Having been the husband of the VBS director for about, oh goodness, probably 15 years, I would guess. I don't remember how many years we did it at Rochester. Maybe it's longer than that. It might be closer to 20. Um, donations are essential to VBS's success, and I know there won't be a lot, a lot, a lot of churches doing it. I know uh, the big church in Cloverdale is doing it uh, the week before us, and so uh, some churches are, are starting to open up and, and do things like that, and so we really want to be there uh, for our community and, and for the kids and the, the children in this area, uh, the families in this area, and welcome them in during that week. So please be a part of that with us, all right? So it is 
is, it is Father's Day. I, I don't know if you, you knew that or not. Again, the calendar is still so out of whack. Did you know yesterday was the first day of summer already? Like that happened. I, I, where'd spring? Did we have spring? I don't remember spring. Um, last I remember, it was winter. Um, and I, yeah, something happened. So whatever. Um, the reality of Father's Day is this, and I don't think uh, this is a mystery to any of us. Today is Father's Day, and one of the greatest needs in our society today is for men, fathers, to rise up and assume our God-given role of responsibility within the family. This is something that's been lacking in our culture for decades now, and you're seeing the fruit of that in the culture in which we live. Men, we got to step up. It's pathetic, quite honestly. Our culture has done such terrible things to men, and we have just taken it, and quite honestly, we live up to many of those expectations, which are way too low. Our text that we're going to start with today before we get to James, talking about Father's Day, is a really general basic responsibility really for all of God's people, but manhood is included, okay? But for those men that, that become fathers, that God blesses with that opportunity, there's a whole other level of responsibility that we inherit then as a result of that. So this very basic passage that many, many, many of you know, I know my kids know it because it was a memory verse uh, for a year of school at one point in time. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Now, fathers, that's the bare minimum. That's who we're supposed to be. Let's expand on that briefly here at the beginning today. Our Father, our God, um, asks us to be a father who loves God first and foremost. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. Are we demonstrating that pursuit in our lives, fathers? Are our kids, is our wife seeing us pursue God in our lives? That is the greatest example that we can set for our families. If we're not, then our priorities are out of order, and we are leading our families in the wrong direction. The second thing, us godly men must love our wives. Now, we talked about this when we studied the book of Ephesians, but Ephesians 5.25 is where it begins. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave her, himself up for her. And you could end it there, but this passage is too rich. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And then Paul reminds us, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Men, there's something that you may or may not realize, and you may or may not realize that you did this same thing, but fathers, if you have a son, your son is watching. He's learning. He's learning how to treat his wife one day. What's he learning from us? What's he learning from us? One day they're going to treat their wives just the way we treated their mom. What are they seeing? 
And fathers that don't have sons, you're not off the hook (laughs) because your daughters are watching. They're looking at you. They're trying to figure out what kind of guy they want to marry. What kind of example are you giving them? It's not an easy task. (laughs) It's a pretty tough thing, and I don't think we think about it often enough. I don't think we consider it often enough. I don't think we think about the example we're setting often enough. We just live our lives as most Americans do. We don't care about anyone else or what other people think or what we're doing. And the reality is we, if we are a father, we should more than care about everything that we do. Obviously, a third thing, obviously godly fathers are going to love their kids. But the reminder is this, love is more than a provision of material things. Fathers, don't miss out on your children's Childhood and work is no excuse. There is no second chance at childhood. We've got to remember that. I don't know if you know this or not, but children interpret the time spent with them as love. That old phrase that maybe you heard from your parents, quality time versus quantity time, is a lie straight from hell. I'll just tell you that right now. It is. The only relevant word is time. And lack of time in the eyes of a child equals lack of love. And we have to consider that as we raise our kids. A godly father is a man of integrity. That whole act justly part, walk uprightly. Integrity is a word. Do you ever hear that word anymore at all in our culture? Do you even hear that word mentioned? Probably not. It's forgotten because the reality is corruption has snuck into every element of our entire lives, including the church. It's even been tainted with the corruptions of this world. It's sad. It's sad. Man, we have to set the example. We got to do things the right way. We cannot cheat. We can't obtain dishonest gain. We cannot cut corners. Our kids, the world, are watching. And here's the reality. Only God knows what our kids are going to grow up and be one day. We don't have a clue. Only God knows. And the behaviors that they learn from us will be on full display in whatever line of work they choose. Man, we got to keep our promises. We got to pay our debts. We got to fulfill our commitments to God and to others and set the bar high. Will we fall short? Absolutely. And that's why maybe the last one is the most challenging of it all, because godly men are supposed to represent the Heavenly Father to our families. Men, did you realize that's your job? You are to represent the God Almighty to your families. That is who you're to be. That's how we're supposed to behave. Will we fall short? That's an enormous task. How could we possibly be expected? I'm not perfect. I can't be God nor does he expect us to be. How will we ever figure it out? How could we ever know enough? How could we ever be strong enough to be that God-like figure in our family's lives? Well, here's the thing. We can't. But he can. <laughs> but he can. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're filled with the Spirit 
of God himself. And we have to put that on display for everyone to see. It's what our kids see in us. It is the love that our wives and our children feel from us. It is his love, his guidance, and his leadership flowing through us. I'll remind you, men, we are not alone When you look at so many of the issues and problems and difficulties that men have, it's that they feel alone. They feel isolated all by themselves. And let me begin by saying the Spirit is with you. If you are a member of God's family, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Spirit of God with you and you are never alone. But this is where the church in particular has fallen short. Men, we are to have each other. Older men, you are to mentor younger men. It's not an option in scriptures. It's the way it's supposed to be. How else will we learn? Younger men, we are to accept the advice and the instruction of older men. We are to learn and watch and observe and see them living out that godly life before us and have an example then to follow after church. We need each other. Men, we need each other. Men were not meant to go through this life alone. Don't believe me? Ask Adam. He confessed. There isn't anyone for me. I can't do this by myself. And God said, you're right. I already knew that, but I wanted you to figure it out because that's just the way we are. Let's pray for our fathers. Father God, first and foremost, thank you for loving us, for accepting us as imperfect as we are. Father, I want to lift up the men in our church, those here today and those that that weren't able to be here. And Father, I pray that beginning in this moment, their relationship with you is renewed. Father, that their pursuit of you maybe kicks into a new gear that it's never been in before as they chase after you and your desires for their life and their heart, as they seek to become stronger, not on their own, but in the Lord as they seek to love others better, not on their own, but with the love of Christ. May that example be what their families see, what their families observe. May they love their children. May they love their wives. May they be men of integrity within this community so that others take notice, not of us individuals, Father, but of you and the reason why we are the way we are. Father, I pray for the relationships and the families in our church and in our community. Father, that if they know you, that they make you the center. And Father, if there's, there are families within this community that do not know you, I pray that maybe something as simple as VBS here in a few weeks can bring them closer to you and give us an opportunity to reach out to them with the love of Jesus. Father, in this Father's Day, I pray that regardless of the difficulties maybe some of us have had with our fa- fathers, I pray that we can get past those forgive whatever needs forgiven. Father, if we ourselves have caused issues and problems in people's lives, I pray that we can go and ask first for forgiveness from you, but Father, then seek those individuals out. Repent of our sin, ask them for forgiveness, as well as we move forward and build in community with you and with others. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the perfect example that you are for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Now we've come to the the final week of the book of James, week nine, if you will. 
It's the ninth week of this series. Now, it wasn't all sequential because we had a couple interruptions, but here's the reality. I want to remind you just a moment of why this is my favorite way to study God's Word. I truly believe down in my heart of hearts that this is the most genuine, the most authentic, the, most, the, the best way to grow, to learn, to be challenged, convicted by God's Word. Now, the reason I say that is because almost without exception, this is the way God's Word would have originally been presented to His people. From Moses' great speeches way back in the deserts to the prophets, which were often delivering their message directly to God's people. God used these individuals to present His instructions, His commands, His challenges, and often a lot more. In the New Testament, it's no different. The Gospels were written very specifically for those authors to share with you and me the story of the life of Jesus. For example, as we read in John, he tells us that he wrote so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, John 20, 31. Then there are all those letters that make up the New Testament. They were written to specific churches, specific areas, even at times specific groups of believers or specific people. Now, when they received those letters, what did they do with them? Do you think they took five minutes and read over them and said, okay, I'm done with this tiny little book of whatever? Of course not. How long did they spend digesting that materials, praying over those materials, applying it to their life? You see, the early followers did not have all of the books that we have in our Bible. They may not have even had one of them. Maybe all they had was their personal stories of coming to Christ, their encounters with Jesus, their life experiences. And that might be all that they had to go out and try to reach others as they strived to live out their faith. So anytime they got one of these letters or pieces of information, they would have thoroughly invested in figuring out what it was trying to tell them. Now we have been blessed with the full counsel of God's word. It's an incredible gift preserved throughout the millennia at this point in time. It is a miracle that this book even exists. We have incredible resources that allow us to search and find all of the passages pertaining to very specific issues and topics, and that is an amazing, amazing thing. As a result, we will certainly do studies that are topical-based. Those are essential in our walk with Christ in this world that we live in, but... But a spiritual walk through the Word of God via one book or one letter, in my belief, is the purest way to study God's Word. And what we all have to understand is it takes time to do that. You can't do it well in a week or two or sometimes 10 or 20. It takes a while to digest the full counsel. And that is what I am called to preach is the full counsel of God's word, not just nitpick little pieces here and there. And so that leads us to today, the conclusion of James. He's presented his case for genuine faith, and I think he's done a very nice job of that. He's helped guide us through the trials that we face face in life and how to, to deal with those. He's reminded us of the source of our internal source of temptation in our lives, and then he also reminded us of the ways in which God can free us from those desires. He's cautioned us about our tongue and the power that it has to destroy. James speaks directly to all of us and asks us to evaluate our faith. Is 
their fruit? Are there any results at all from our faith? Are others being shown the love of Jesus through us? If not, then our faith is dead. He addressed discrimination of all things. Imagine that. With a simple reminder to love our neighbors as ourselves. There is no place for any form of discrimination within the people of God. James shares with us the source of the quarrels and fights among us, the church he's talking about. Once again, they all stem from the desires, the evil desires within us. In particular, our rebellion against God. The solution to all of these things and more is, of course, the peace that can only be found in Jesus. But when I reflect on on everything that we studied in James, the thing that still leaves the biggest mark on me, the most fascinating thing about James, is something we talked about all the way back on the very, very first Sunday in James. And if you weren't here or you missed that Sunday somehow, just go to our webpage, bccbrazil.org, and on the right-hand side, there's a link that takes you to every message in James. They're on a nice, neat little folder, and you can listen to that very first one. But that reality is this. James was the son of Mary and Joseph. The Mary and Joseph. Which means James was Jesus's brother. And I still cannot fathom what that must have been like. In specific, related to the three years that Jesus was actually active in ministry, did James, his brother Jude, his other siblings, including sisters, did they go and listen to Jesus speak? Do you think they were there on that hillside on the sermon on the mount the day that Jesus gave that famous, famous, famous message? Do you think they were there the day that Jesus fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, 15,000 plus? Do you think they partook of that meal? Do you think by chance maybe they met some of the people that Jesus had healed along the way? You know they heard about Lazarus, right? What on earth did they think about everything that their brother was doing? All we know is that James did not believe. He could not wrap his mind around the possible reality that his brother was the son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And oh yes, his Savior as well. His older brother was his Savior. Do you, can you understand why maybe James had a little bit of a difficult time grasping that concept, because if you can't, I know I sure can. But we have this letter, don't we? And quite honestly, without this letter, we would be left to presume in Acts that that James is the brother of Jesus. We know that it is. We have this letter from a passionate, older man, a man who is deeply committed to and in love with Jesus. He has devoted his life to serving Jesus and to loving others. They want, he wants to see others come to Jesus. He wants to see their lives change for him. His desire then is to, to see Jesus, his brother now, reflected in the lives of all these believers that he's writing to so that their faith will then draw even more people to his brother, his Savior, Jesus. When you take all of this into consideration, I think you can understand maybe why James ended this letter the way he does in such a simple, simple way. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Open your phones, 
your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat somewhere in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at all, take that with you. Please uh, don't, don't be left without one. So James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. James says this, if any among you is in trouble, if you are suffering, if you're afflicted, then let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah, Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not for three and a half years. And then he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. James is now directing his words to the people of God and he's reminding them of some very basic, simple truths. Church, we have to be in touch with the world around us. The world is hurting. The world is dying, literally falling apart all around us. We cannot come in here and pretend that everything's just fine. Everything's just going to be okay. Don't worry about a thing. James's letter is as relevant today as it was in the first century when it was written. He addresses so many of the issues that the church today is facing now. And in this passage, he calls the church to be in touch, to interact with, to offer hope for that hurting and dying world. We live in a world where people are hurting. I don't think any of us could deny that. So we must go into the world with this message of hope. So James begins to present some some situations in life. He specifically talks about a few things. He, He talks about those that are hurting, those that are in pain, those that are suffering. He talks about those that are happy even. It's an interesting uh, dynamic to what he's saying here. He points to these two solutions, a horizontal solution. In other words, a solution between all of us people, a way for us to get along better, and then a solution for us to work things out with God even better, a vertical solution, if you will. Here on earth, at least within the church, one of the ways that we can help one another in this walk is to confess our sins to each other. Now, James is not talking about going on the street corner downtown Brazil at the stoplight and 59 and 40 and announcing your sins to the world. That is not what he is talking about. We are privileged to be able to go straight to God through our Lord Jesus Christ and confess our sins. However, there are times in order for us to be right with God, we need to be right with one another horizontally. This mutual confession does amazing things within the fellowship of believers. There are many benefits to think about when you talk about these things. These confessions might be one of the greatest results of these things. It gives us an opportunity then to pray for one another. When we know how people are hurting, when we know how people are struggling, then we can pray specifically for them. We can help hold them accountable. We can help give them guidance and counsel. Many of us might have been through those exact same things before. And we can help guide those people that are struggling right now. And if you that have ever struggled in life know the importance. If you know that somebody else knows and is willing to help you through that struggle, it is worth so much. It brings so much peace and comfort in your times of pain and sorrow. And you have someone that is going through that struggle with you when you are not alone. James then goes on to deal with that vertical solution, reminding us to pray to pray for each other. This is a a very interesting tense 
of the word. It's the present imperative, meaning it's just continuous, it's ongoing, it doesn't stop. Confession and prayer are not once and for all actions. They're an ongoing repetition. They're a lifestyle for the believer. James was, in effect, saying, make a practice of agreeing with and praying for one another. Don't wait until a need arises. So many times we have a prayer list, like, oh, I pray for these specific people that are going through specific struggles. Nothing wrong with that. But pray for those that aren't going through struggles, because you and I both know they are. Pray for things when they're going great. Pray for things that aren't on your list. Don't wait till a need arises, but instead always praise. And then he finishes this statement with the word he uses for prayer. It's a unique word in the Greek. The word that he uses is a different word for prayer. It's the humblest of all the words used in the Greek language for prayer. It means a humble begging or plea or petition. This word for prayer is not an outright even request to God. It's not a demand asserting that God do something. It's not even an expectation that God will act. It is the picture of a needy man bowed humbly before his God in humility, just asking for help. Humble prayer is approached with integrity. It's the prayer of a righteous man, 516. It's asked with intensity. It is powerful. It is incredible in so many different ways. It's answered in all kinds of ways, and it is effective. It accomplishes much, the passage says. Church, may we commit our prayers to this righteous nature so that God will move through our prayers as well to touch this hurting and dying world. So when we begin to review these last few statements of James, what's he saying? Well, he says, well, if you're in pain or you're suffering, then James recommends that we should pray. Okay. All right. If you're afflicted with a disease or a tragedy occurs or something like that in your life, then James would say to pray. That's right. These are the prayers or petitions offered to God for strength, for guidance, for healing when needed. One biblical scholar wrote it specifically this way. Prayer, to be sure, may not always remove the affliction. Did you hear that? That's a hard one. Prayer may not always remove the affliction, but in that case, it will always bring the sufferer grace to bear the affliction. It's a hard one to take to heart, but it is a truth of God's Word. When we're happy, when things are going great, when we're optimistic and the future is rosy and positive, the proper response is to sing praises to our God. It's another form of prayer. Believers with genuine faith know that all good and perfect gifts come from our God above, right? And our natural response is then to praise Him. Our natural response is to have a grateful heart. We must pray with faith, believing on our Lord Jesus Christ. We must pray, believing, and desiring that God's will is to be done, not our will. We must pray with and for each other. Remember, James is trying to tell his readers something. In his last paragraph here, to his readers, to his audience, he's trying to tell them, hey, prayer, yeah, it's important, do it all the time, for whatever reason, don't forget to pray. Then you get to his final words in verses 19 and 20. I just want you to listen to them, or if you've got them in front of you, read them carefully. He says this, my brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. If one of you should wonder from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death 
and cover over a multitude of sins. I want you to reimagine those words, but with the passion that James is probably writing them. Do you think James is writing these words with someone specifically in mind? If any of you should wander away from the truth, I wonder if James is thinking of someone very specific. And I want to ask you the same question. When you read those words, do you know of someone, is there someone that it just pains you to have seen that person wander away from the truth? Is there a specific person that you have seen walk away from the faith that they once had. We have probably all been witness to that reality at some point in time. So what do we do? What do we stay? What does James' word, what do James's word tell us about this situation? Well, first it tells us that it can happen, right? People can wander away from the truth. They can walk away. In as much as it's your choice to choose Christ in your life, it is also your choice to stay in Christ. He will never leave us. He will never abandon us nor forsake us, but he does not force us to do the same. James, however, reminds us that if one is to walk away, as long as there is breath in their lungs, they can be restored. They can be redeemed. The power of the blood of Jesus does not lose its effectiveness just because someone walks away from it at some point in their life. They can once again be washed as white as snow. If you think of it this way, think of that old piece of furniture that you found at a yard sale somewhere. You know, at one point in time, that piece of furniture was showroom new, wasn't it? Handmade by its creator. But years of wear and tear, maybe even abuse and neglect, have left it in a state where nobody even wants it anymore. Until, until that right, just perfect someone comes along and sees that peace for what it could become. If only someone was willing to invest in that peace and bring it back to life. <laughs> Praise God, He is in the restoration business. Amen? <laughs> he picks up the fallen, doesn't He? He restores the broken. He knows the plans he has for us, and he wants to guide us back in that direction where we are now once again within his will for our lives. And the remarkable thing about him is that somehow he uses all of us broken people to help bring those people back into this life. Those that have been set aside from the, for the, by the world, those that have been broken down by their circumstances, knocked around, put out finally into that yard sale where they can't even get a buck for them. James reminds us of the second chance that existed for every one of us and exists for everyone else even to this day as well. Never forget that. James 5.19 says, It is possible to wonder from the truth. I think that is true today more than ever because now we live in a world where people say that doctrine or what you believe really doesn't matter anymore. However, what we believe directly determines how we behave in this life, does it not? Remember earlier, the beginning of James's letter, he shares with us the reality that our faith, if it doesn't produce fruit, then it is dead. It doesn't truly exist. It is possible for a believer to wander away from a place of sound doctrine and truth. The culture is constantly trying to tell us that the ways of Jesus aren't 
really needed any longer. And in many cases, they will tell us that the teachings of Christ are completely wrong. Unfortunately, many Christians have fallen prey to the world and the world's way of thinking, speaking, acting, and then ultimately living because that's what happens. And when one of us wanders away from the doctrine of the truth of Christ, we eventually wander away from who Christ created us to be. When we wander from our belief, our behavior soon follows. <laughs> but again, thankfully, James lets us know that it's possible it's possible to bring someone back. As a matter of fact, I would say it's part of our responsibility. It's part of our calling in our excitement or eagerness, if you will, to seek and save the lost, to reach the lost that have never heard of Jesus. Sometimes we forget about those that once knew Him, and we don't go after them. James 5.19 reminds us we are to bring them back repentance. We are to save them from death, resuscitate, bring them back to life, and this action will cover over that multitude of sins, restore them to a right relationship with Christ. That's an encouraging thing, and I, I want you to consider those that you know that have done that. And there are many that we know that were once deep, devoted followers of Jesus, or maybe they were just infants, just beginning their walk with Christ, and life took them in another direction. Well, that was life. That was Satan. And they chose to follow, and God wants them back, and it might just be you that brings them back. So we get to this end of the book of James, and it's a weird ending. Let's just be honest. In the New Testament, most of the books, especially Paul's letters, they end in a very unique, specific kind of way. They, they all have that same kind of flavor. I love the end of 2 Corinthians. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Can't you just hear the emotions? Greet one another with a holy kiss, Paul tells them. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen and amen. Thank you, Paul, for that wonderful ending. Peter ends his letter quite differently, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen. What a powerful ending. James, he concludes his letter just a little bit different, a little more abruptly, shall we say. Maybe it's because he's a practical man. He says, and I quote, he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins, period. End of discussion, end of letter. Here's what he said. Here's the instructions. Go do it. I don't need to roll out any of those flowery junk. Get at it. If not, your face dead, James would say. Don't go back and this is what I'm telling you. This is where the struggles are. The Holy Spirit is moving you. Go and act. He doesn't need anything else. He's a simple man. Very appropriate for Father's Day, I think. This letter is so appropriate for us in our time as a church as we seek to rebuild what God wants us to be, the community that He desires. And this time of invitation that will exist each and every week that we gather, it has so many uses, so many opportunities for people to respond to God's Word, to the Holy Spirit's call on their life. It could have been through a song. It could have been through a prayer. It could have been through the kids' time. It could have been through communion later on. It could be through a time of offering when you offer back what God has blessed you with in your life. It could even be used or accomplished through the words that God has given me. Men, as fathers, if there are things that we 
have fallen short in, and we know it, and we're trying, and we're working on it. Seek prayer today. Seek prayer from a godly older man within this organization right here, within this community, within this body, and allow them to pray for you. Odds are pretty good God will lead you to someone that struggled with the same thing. That's how he works. Fathers, if you've never set an example for your kids, if you've never stepped forward and made that confession of faith to Christ before your family, then maybe today is the day to do that just thing. Maybe you've never even been baptized. Well, that's not got water in it yet, but the caulk is on, so it's ready to be filled. Will it leak? I don't know. I'll blame the guy that put the caulk on. Um, that was me. Anyway, um, so whatever. What, there's no better example. Maybe your family has been attending church for a long time and you've never sought, you've never made a commitment to be a part of a local body of believers to set that example of commitment for your families. Men, there's no better example you could set than helping your family understand the importance of identifying with the body of Christ in that local body of believers. It will teach them for when they grow up and do the same ultimately with their families one day. And to anyone that has never accepted the love of Christ, this time will always be open for you to come forward and do that. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons in James. But Father, may they be more than lessons. Father, they're not just words on a page. They are a lifestyle to be lived. They're more than just things to think, well, that's a great idea, or maybe we should consider doing that. No, Father, this is who you want us to be as men, as women, as children of God. James writes us these words as a reminder of the ways of Christ and how to live them out. May we use them as practical guides in our lives to apply your words in ways that we can accomplish only through your spirit within us. And Father, that ending of James, Father, those that are lost right now and, and haven't strayed from the truth because they've never known it, they're listening today because they, 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 there's something about that truth pulling them in. I pray that in short time rather than long, the Spirit moves them to a place of acceptance, a place of love for your Son and what He did for them. And Father, for those of us that know people, and maybe there's someone here today that is just here because they have to be, they feel distant from God. Father, I pray today is the day that James' words reminds them, hey, it's possible to wander from the truth, but... Oh my goodness, it's possible for that spirit to bring them back into his truth, into his presence, into their lives, to guide and direct and lead them, to love them. They're not abandoned, they're not forsaken, they're not forgotten. Father, they are that old piece of furniture that this world has set out to rot, and you come along and want to do nothing more than restore them fully to the perfect creation you created them to be. Father, there's anyone today that feels beat up and broken. Cast aside by the world, I pray they come into your presence this morning to be restored. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.